Hello everyone and welcome to this EMJ podcast. My name is Dr. Hannah Moyer, Senior Medical Writer and Moderator for EMJ. And today I am delighted to be bringing you a series of three conversations on osteoarthritis, redefining the way we consider this chronic condition. This podcast has been sponsored by Viatris. In this second episode, we focus on the importance of starting well and living well with the disease in its early to middle stages throughout a multidisciplinary care. In this episode, we are thinking about a patient who is living with a disease post-diagnosis. Firstly, we have Professor Ali Mubasheri, Professor of Musculoskeletal Biology in the Research Unit of Health Sciences and Technology within the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Ulu in Finland and is also Chief Researcher and International Advisor in the State Research Institute Centre for Innovative Medicine in Vilnius, Lithuania. And we also have Dr. Daniel Kenter-White, who is an Associate Professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at the University of Delaware and the Director of the Delaware Activity Lab in the United States. So Dan, if I could start with you as um in terms of the patient profile of osteoarthritis, um, how much variety is there in the way that the disease presents between patients? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, in my opinion, there there is actually a lot of variety with how people present with uh, their symptoms and then what they do about it. Um, I think there's, if you take two people with, let's say, the same um, uh, signs of disease. So if you were to x-ray their knees uh, and uh, ask them about their pain, uh, let's say they're, they're, for sake of argument, they're identical. But then how people manage uh, that disease and what they do about that could be completely different. Um, so one person, for instance, uh, could uh, is fearful and doesn't want to hurt their knees and uh, spends a majority of their time trying to minimize how much uh, activity they're doing or how much pressure is going through the knee and uh, the and may start to uh, alter, uh, subsequently alter the, their activities. So they like to golf beforehand or they like to ski and they start to modify those so that they don't do those things uh, anymore for fear of making their knees worse. And the other person could be more proactive in thinking about that they they uh, continue their their activities um, and perhaps uh, focus more in on uh, trying to to either uh, uh, strengthen uh, their knees and thinking well maybe I should go to the gym and maybe uh, I, I'm going to uh, mod- change my my running that I did and go to biking now and and so already there's um, if you can imagine from a uh, reaction standpoint to the disease there's uh, a lot of different uh, consequence or, or, or reaction that people can have. So, and, and that doesn't even get to the point where we can talk about uh, the different disease types and the um, heterogeneity or the different presentations that the disease has. So to, to sorry for the long-winded example here, but the, 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 the suffice to say that there, there really is not a typical patient profile, but there is a lot of variety. Uh, and 
really illustrates that we've learned more recently of how complex uh, a disease that osteoarthritis is. It's not a simple like, oh, yeah, that's an osteoarthritis patient. Well, there, there's some commonalities like the knee pain. Uh, typically, uh, people tend to be overweight, but that's not always the overweight's not always true. And certainly what people do about it is uh, very varied. So I hope that answers your, your, your question. No, that's great. Um, I think it's really uh, useful to indicate to, in, to, to everyone that uh, heterogeneity is, is key here, that you, it's not a one-size-fits-all with this condition um, and that people are going to present in a variety of ways at different stages as well through their condition in terms of how long they've been experiencing these symptoms as well. Ali, would you mind if, if you would in kind of giving a bit of a perspective from your view of, of how the disease presented? Sure. So I think the most important issue that concerns patients is pain. Pain is the number one issue that they care about and the number one issue that they are worried about. Because if the pain gets to a point where it inhibits um, physical activity and the ability to go to work and go out and uh, enjoy life, spend time with family and friends and play golf and all of that. I think that is the major impact that it has on the day-to-day -day life of a patient. And I think the patients generally don't um, like to take too many drugs. The majority of patients recognize that there are side effects associated with the drugs that are prescribed for osteoarthritis. Um, they have concerns about the long-term impacts of, of those drugs and how those drugs can affect the functioning of other, other body systems, you know, cardiovascular system, uh, renal system, um, the liver, etc. So Patients are very smart nowadays. Patients have the ability to, um, they communicate with each other. They have circles of peer-assisted learning, if you like, um, and they they do a lot of research on, on the internet as well. But of course, there's different levels of education for patients and those who are very well-educated and understand scientific um, language and terminology are much more able to learn and absorb the information and develop coping strategies. And of course, if you're dealing with patients who come from disadvantaged socioeconomic backgrounds, then, uh, and they find it difficult to read and understand even the simplest pamphlets and leaflets about osteoarthritis, then I think we need to go further. And I think for, for those contexts, you need to develop um, ways to reach patients with a certain level of education, uh, below a certain level of high school education. And we need to think of society as a whole and the different um, understanding of science uh, and medicine within society. And I think there needs to be much greater emphasis for educating patients through uh, podcasts such as this one, infographics. Um, so many companies, so many organizations are developing better infographics for 
for this particular topic. And perhaps even more importantly, using graphical medicine and uh, visual narratives to educate the healthcare practitioners of the future. And I think that's a really good opportunity for us to educate the next generation doctors, uh, GPs, uh, specialists to use a different language when osteoarthritis is being discussed. And I think that's a really exciting opportunity for, for us. And by the way, patients can be really important participants in that, helping to develop those materials and be um, a sounding board for uh, giving advice and feedback to those to those kinds of initiatives. I wonder if that uh, answered your question, at least partially. Yeah, and it totally raises some interesting perspectives and views, not just about um, practitioners themselves in how they are managing and guiding patients, but also how we can move forward and listen to patients and how that can best inform our practices as well. So I think there's two things here which, which um, you, you raise, and I think it'd be useful, Dan, if you could give your perspective of, you know, how are patients um, educated or what advice is given when a patient is first diagnosed with osteoarthritis and thinking about that impact on their, their daily living? Yeah, uh, that, is a, that, that is a really good question. Um, there's a study that was published in Arthritis Care and Research maybe seven or eight years ago about uh, what do people first do uh, when they're diagnosed with osteoarthritis. Um, and in, in the vast majority actually do start to, to exercise and try to, to uh, modify their, their health in a, in a positive way. Uh, from this uh, survey that was done, and and that is that's great. Uh, I would say, however, these were done. Uh, this diagnosis was done in uh, medical clinics in in the United States, I believe, in general. I think that what we are becoming aware of in the research community um, and is quite evident in uh, just a simple Google search is the amount of misinformation that is uh, out there. Uh, for osteoarthritis, a simple Google search of uh, you know uh, knee pain, uh, treatment for knee pain will yield a, a large variety of uh, information. Uh, some of which is true, <laughs> but most of which is not true. And uh, there are uh, a variety of Facebook groups, uh, and uh, you could see that are. Um, uh, are, are led by some individuals are very well-meaning uh, and have good things to offer, but uh, by and large, most are uh, offering things that just are not scientifically uh, uh, proven. And I, I think that it's challenging because uh, on the one hand, people, you know, have, as Ali uh, very astutely pointed out, they have pain. Pain is... <laughs> A problem. It is a um, a serious problem that is impacts so many aspects of, of life, uh, and people are willing to go to great lengths to to mitigate or to get rid of that pain. And um, I I think the challenging part is as a healthcare community is uh, you know uh, as you say, Hannah, is how we get mes messages out to, to patients and. I think there, um, 
in, in my opinion, there needs to be a, a sort of shift in how we are thinking uh, with messages going from uh, pamphlets that we give patients to more uh, social media campaigns and public health messages that are given uh, through innovative ways, uh, things like, you know, the short little videos on uh, Instagram called, I think they're called reels, like ha- having a, a reel on osteoarthritis uh, and uh, having public health messages come through that and that garner likes and, and follows and, and uh, reposts. And, and you know, that, that is just, we are, you know, um, as a medical community in, in need of a, a extreme makeover in, the, in that regard to, to get these uh, messages out. And uh, I think it's critical for those uh, for reaching our uh, target audience because they're likely to, uh, one, seek information from friends and peers and, or others through Facebook, uh, specifically for older adults. Uh, and having a presence online is critical to, to address that. You know, the notion that people will ask their doctor, while it's still true and does hold a lot of weight, um, it's, it's challenging and, and, and there's not as much access to, to medical information in the traditional sense um, as there is to social media and, and asking what we call here, uh, or what I'm sure other people call Dr. Google. Dr. Google is the, the person you, you, know, you, you first ask a, a, a about things. Absolutely. I think Dr. Google is a very scary doctor. And uh, we, we need to work together to make sure that patients don't go to Dr. Google as a first port of call. Um, I think as I was listening to Dan elaborate on this issue, I actually had a very quick look on uh, Instagram for osteoarthritis. And there are some pretty scary graphics there as well. And beyond the misinformation and the, the fake medical information that's out there in, uh, on the internet, there's also some, uh, I would say, probably inappropriate images on um, um, this topic of osteoarthritis in some of the social media. And we know that different social media channels work for different purposes, but I think increasingly people are turning to uh, image-based social media. So I think we need to work and populate much better information on on this uh, important topic on platforms such as Instagram. So patients need to, and um, maybe we need to work with Google as well. I mean, Dan, what do you think? We've we have never, and when I say we, I'm talking about the osteoarthritis-focused uh, academic uh, institutions, the societies, the American College of Rheumatology, ORC. We've never really engaged with the uh, the seniors of, of Google and uh, Twitter, etc., to, to try and moderate some of that content. And I think it's a difficult task. Where do we actually begin? Um, it's, it's a huge undertaking, but I completely agree with Dan. There's a lot of uh, fake information out there, and it's not properly compartmentalized and categorized, and there's a huge amount of work that needs to be done to bring much better osteoarthritis education to patients that explains the condition in clear, very simple English, and of course, increasingly there are 
browsers um, that can automatically translate this to, to other languages. You don't have to translate English to every single language under the sun. If you write it clearly enough, then I think a lot of those auto-translators uh, that you find on web browsers such as Chrome automatically translate for you to the different languages that you set on your browser, depending on where you come from in the world. But I think we have a lot of work to do to populate um, the, uh, the websites and uh, increase knowledge about osteoarthritis and highlight the fact that if you have osteoarthritis, you can still have a good life. And there are many ways to develop coping mechanisms and strategies to, to deal with, the, with this serious condition. So I think really we need to work together to develop better educational materials, um, find better ways to promote them, um, and reach, reach patients in, in a way where they can be um, properly heard. If I could just follow uh, with with that, with Ali, you know, uh, is is right on with the need to be um, in social media, and I think um, I I think we don't need to um, engage the leadership of Google uh, because it, the the beauty of social media is that it's uh, grassroots efforts uh, that we could try, and I think just the, understanding the notion that you know, gaining followers takes work and it, it takes effort that, you know, can come in a variety of ways. Um, uh, and, and I think starting to do that in a concentrated way uh, or putting resource behind that to, uh, to do so, uh, I, I think is the uh, first place to, uh, to start. And, and I do want to acknowledge that there are existing organizations that have, um, have been doing this. Things like uh, Creaky Joints uh, is one, the Osteoarthritis Action Alliance from uh, UNC Chapel Hill, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in the United States, uh, and the Arthritis Foundation are some uh, that I'm aware of that are uh, in social media and, and are trying to get health, positive health messages out to uh, to patients uh, who or to people who have knee pain and likely have knee osteoarthritis. Uh, nevertheless, I think the call uh, should go out to the, the larger OA community for, for the need uh, for, you know, investigators like myself uh, and for institutions that are that are doing OA research to have a strong social media presence and, and gain followers to have good information out there and not misinformation uh, so that people can have a choice uh, in, in, or at least hear the hear the other side uh, of um, uh, of what an argument uh, might be. So what I'm hearing is that um, self-empowerment and that positive mindset of patients is key, um, but making sure that when they are kind of seeking out this information, that it's accurate information that can advise and guide them. Um, so how much can we get um, practitioners on board to this message and how effective is bringing on board a, a multidisciplinary team to ensuring this message is clear, is appropriate and is more proactive than reactive to the situation? There's multiple ways to do that. Um, so I served as the uh, president of ORC, the Osteoarthritis Research Society International, and we had funding um, to develop educational materials on osteoarthritis. And we developed a series of five 
micro learnings for healthcare providers focusing on uh, the, the key points. Uh, osteoarthritis is a serious disease, issues with uh, diagnosis, management, etc. Um, we need to do more of that. This podcast is definitely a step in the right direction and we need to have a greater involvement on the social media. I completely agree with Dan, those resources he mentioned, Creaky Joints, uh, the Arthritis Foundation website and the Away Action Alliance uh, are really very helpful. I actually gave a lecture on the topic of uh, osteoarthritis management a few weeks ago, mostly deriving my information from the OA Action Alliance website and the educational resources that they have there. It's really wonderful, detailed, with lots of links, really rich, up-to-date information. That information needs to be widely disseminated to other parts of the world. And um, we also need to recognize that GPs in a primary healthcare setting increasingly see osteoarthritis or have seen osteoarthritis as, here we go, is another patient with osteoarthritis and uh, I don't have any drugs to really help this patient and um, that needs to change. And I think the conversation, that very first conversation between the general practitioner who makes the clinical diagnosis of OA uh, for that patient who's come in with knee pain and it's probably the first time that they're seeking proper medical advice uh, about it. That is the most important starting point. If we could shift that, uh, as we discussed in the previous uh, podcast episode, to a much earlier phase of life with the help of physical um, therapists and um, people who have a greater understanding of that physical impairment in OA much earlier would be great. And then the management of the OA patient as they uh, go through this journey and making sure they have the most up-to-date information as possible presented in a very positive light. In a, um, And of course, it's a shared decision-making process. Everything to do with the management of osteoarthritis is a shared responsibility between the healthcare provider and the patient. Again, we need to make sure that patients understand that, that they're not alone. And as they deal with the pain and uh, develop uh, strategies to cope, I think they need to recognize that there's a lot of help out there. And there are programs, there are educational programs out there that really work. I mentioned Good Life with Osteoarthritis earlier. That's one of the um, educational programs that's actually demonstrated to have impacts on um, the symptoms and the engagement of the patients. And my understanding is that it's rolled out beyond Denmark, where it's already been adopted by the healthcare system. So those are the sorts of successes that we need to focus on. And, you know, so many of my friends and colleagues in, in the community are also doing uh, podcasts. This podcast is an important step in, in that direction. And then there are some key figures in the osteoarthritis and rheumatology communities who've developed their own podcasts. And I've also heard a couple of really high profile patients are also developing, planning to develop their own podcasts. And they're going to be interviewing people like Dan and myself. I think that would be very cool too. So turn the table around and, uh, you know, place the emphasis on the patient and listen to their stories. Listen to them. Tell us about how osteoarthritis is impacting on their 
personal and professional lives and listen carefully to them uh, tell the, tell us their stories. I think that's a really important place to start. Thank you so much. I think that nicely concludes the, the discussion around where things need to move forward. So I'd like to thank you both, Professor Ali Mobasheri and Dr. Daniel Kenter-White for joining us today and for sharing their insights around osteoarthritis, redefining the way we consider this chronic condition with our audience. If you enjoyed this episode, this is the second of a three-part series that can be accessed wherever you get your podcasts. These, alongside an informative infographic, can also be accessed via emjreviews.com. In the final episode, we will discuss end stage of osteoarthritis with the considerations and options therein. Until next time, take care and goodbye for now. Mm -hmm.